As we start looking class at uh, lesson eight, the unjust suffering of the Messiah, I had a question to ask, and I, at least for those of parents, I know when I was a scout leader, I heard a lot of times the phrase, that's not fair. And uh, I think if we all are going to be honest with each other, we will admit that we have all experienced unfair treatment from time to time. And it makes the makes us bristle up and get angry about that when it happens. Um, and maybe as we start, maybe take a couple of minutes and just think to yourself, when you experienced something that you believe was unfair, how did you respond? Because uh, we're going to compare your level of unfairness to Christ as the Messiah, as his suffering, and the unspeakable suffering, the torture, the pain, none of which he deserved, which would be unfair uh, to save us from our sins. His unjust suffering is really the true focus of this lesson. Um, if we were in class, I would be showing you a picture on the, the PowerPoint of a realistic picture of Christ on the cross from our resources um, and thinking about the physical agony that accompanies the torture of the cross. Um, I also encourage everyone in the class, if they're not familiar, to seek out uh, answers in Genesis. And if you go back uh, to I think it was on the, either the 10th, 11th, or 12th of uh, this month, no, March, in March, 10th, 11th, or 12th of March, when we were in Easter. Um, they had a present presentation, and I have seen it still on their Facebook posts of one of their lecturers talking about the physiological um, issues of the body on the cross. Uh, it's pretty dramatic and uh, it's definitely worth a listen to when we talk about Christ on the cross. Um, so as you think about that, we also want to ask that question of what other pain beside physical pain did Christ suffer? And you know, we're going to look at the fact that he suffered emotionally because he bore the sins of the whole world and was separated from God the Father. Uh, Christ, remember, didn't deserve any of the suffering he endured. His unjust suffering is the true focus of today's lesson. So we're going to be looking at um, the main passage is Isaiah 52, 13 through 35, 12. That's the whole passage as I talked about last week. But we're going to um, look at that. Um, uh, we're going to start here in Isaiah um, through 13. And uh, I'll go ahead and read that whole passage and then we'll come back and discuss uh, this further piece as we start talking about the description of his suffering. So Isaiah, starting 53, 13 um, of 
52.13 through all of 53. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. And thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them they will see, and what they had not heard they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and a root out of parched ground. And he had no stately form nor majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, like one whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him strict, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and was afflicted, and he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and for his generation who uh, considered that he was cut off out of the land of living, for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured himself out to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, yet himself bore the sins of many, and interceded for the transgressors. I think when we look at this passage, there really isn't a passage in the Old Testament that comes close to describing the suffering of the Messiah so completely as does Isaiah 53. The words used are strong. They're very uh, poignant and picturesque. Isaiah wrote the first three verses of the chapter from the perspective of his Jewish friends considering the crucifixion after he came to understand what had actually happened. We have to understand also, remembering that the Messiah's suffering was not limited to beating, the scourging, or the actual crucifixion. He suffered in other ways, too. And, you know, we want to look at those other sufferings. One of them is socially. 
and we see that uh, you know his social suffering occurred long before the crucifixion people's rejection caused him social and mental anguish and I know we're not anywhere near what Christ was but you know I think most of us can admit that we know what it feels like to be rejected socially I think we probably could think of times when someone that we thought was a friend turned against us or someone that we were acquainted with refused to recognize you or recognize you as a friend um, you know when we we think of 51 uh, 53 verse 1 uh, that we were reading who has believed our message um, you know the, just when they were thinking of that idea of of uh, the you know who that uncharacterized uh, unbelief that many people had was a response to Christ um, and even in 53 2 where it says uh, and he had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him nor appearance that we should be attracted to him there wasn't anything in his looks that drew men to him if you think about it in uh, John 1 46 Nathaniel basically said what good ever came out of Nazareth as we think of that passage um, we'll go read that together John 1 46 Philip is talking to Nathaniel and he says starting in 45 he says we have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph and Nathaniel said to him can any good thing come out of Nazareth you know we're, we're, we're talking about the social um, description you know when Nicodemus encouraged the 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 uh, the Sanhedrin to give him a fair leaders in John 7 52 the leaders said well then no prophet ever arose out of Galilee the the men despised they rejected him we see that written here in 53 that he was despised and forsaken of men a man of sorrows acquainted with grief um, you know uh, people turned their back on him Isaiah wrote in that same passage it said like one whom men hide their face he was despised and we did not esteem him that phrase right there gives you the level at which we're talking about the way he was socially rejected that phrase is also the description um, on how we would describe a person seeing a leper in his day if you saw a leper people turned away and did not see him they hid their face from them uh, you know we sing songs about man of sorrow with joyful thankful hearts but those who saw him experience those sorrows they had no loving gratitude in their hearts to him he was a failure uh, Christ in these parts of his life experienced suffering 
He was the suffering servant. He suffered, you know, in his hometown. His social status, his physical appearance were unimportant. As a servant, nobody cared where a servant was from or what a servant looks like. When we look for a leader, we don't naturally turn to a servant. Though the Bible and history record numerous examples of a servant rising to a high position. Now, we will look some to the uh, um, physical suffering that he experienced, um, but I want to drop back out of Isaiah 53, back to where we read in Isaiah 52. So if you have your eye, draw back to verse 14, and we talk about how badly he was disfigured. Um, you know, and in that it says, his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Uh, you think about that, the suffering that he experienced, that uh, such a punishment that they were, those who witnessed it were awestruck by his appearance, uh, that, that uh, his outward appearance was so marred beyond recognition um, that through this suffering he was perf the perfect sacrifice for sin, but it has been suggested that Christ suffered more on the cross than any other person has ever suffered. Now we've got Isaiah 53, 5 talking about the very idea of the crucifixion. It says, He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. If you go back to the King James, it says he was wounded. And here in the New American Standard, we see um, a more clear one when it talks about his piercing. Um, you know, truly, it was a symbol for wound or piercing is for the fact that his body was pierced. Uh, by some type of sharpened weapon, a sword or a spear. Jesus' hands and feet were pierced with spikes. We see that in John 20, uh, 25. The soldier pierced his side with a spear, and that was seen in John 19, 34. These wounds on Jesus' body remain visible. We know that... Um, Thomas said, well, I won't believe until I actually get to put my hand into the, the, the side and, and my fingers into the nail poles in his hands and feet. Uh, you know, he just, and Jesus showed him those and said, you know, put your hand in here. So when he, after his resurrection, they were there. And we also see that in Revelation, the description John has was a lamb as if it had been slain. The, the death wounds were still visible. You know this uh, this next line here about the chastisement uh, or um, the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. Chastisement was a disciplinary punishment. That's the term chastisement. God gave the punishment due us to Christ when He became our substitutionary sacrifice. That He went onto the cross and took the punishment for our penal our sins. Also in that passage. After it talks about that, he was, and by his scourging, we are healed. King James, as I remember learning it as a kid, by his stripes, we are healed. 
Stripes are the wounds left, um, we think of by whip marks, but we understand that he was scourged. That was a whip with a slightly shorter length than the Texas Longhorn uh, Cowboy uh, Bull Whip. We're talking a shorter whip, but in those leather strips they were uh, laced with pieces of sharp metal or pieces of bone. And that scourging he faced at the hands of the Romans not only stripped in with the, the leather strips, but as they did and they pulled back out, they left raw open lacerations. Those pieces of bone stone or metal would pierce the back with each blow and then as they pulled them back out to free up for the next blast of the whip the metal would tear through the flesh and expose deeper damaging wounds to the tissue beneath sorry if it's graphic we need to face up to the fact that christ went through a terrible ordeal in 53 7 it says he was oppressed and was afflicted now, those words, the form of oppressed found here, is also found back in Exodus chapter 5, where it's translated taskmaster. Under the hands of the Pharaoh, the taskmasters forced the Israelites to work as slaves. They suffered physical beatings, terrible working conditions. The word afflicted also is in verse 4. Um is sometimes translated humble. Uh, it includes the thought of a brow beating, uh, the, the negative effect. And you know, you think about that is the way both know the Jews and the Romans treated Christ in the physical level leading up to the crucifixion. We're gonna look at here in just a second at the emotional suffering that he uh, went through. Okay, so the idea that he suffered emotionally, we can see, you know, when they misunderstood Christ's mission and the cause of his suffering. At first reading, if you look at this phrase in verse 5, that we, we skipped over, it said he was crushed for our iniquities. Um, King James uses the term bruised. Um, it, I think the New American has a better translation, bruised in the King James literally does mean crushed or destroyed as an enemy in battle. The other usages of this word in the Old Testament is speaking figuratively of the oppressive mental and emotional suffering rather than physical abuse. In verse 12 we um, see on the cross um, that it says, uh, catch my eye on verse 12 because I want to catch it here, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Um, that is, he was counted or considered to be a wrongdoer. You know, he was crucified between two thieves. Uh, he would have been buried with those thieves if who were crucified with him if a wealthy man had not intervened and provided his own tomb. And I think uh, maybe that we look at the, the crucifixion, I think what we see Christ crying out the most is that the, the, when uh, the, God the Father laid on him the iniquity of us all, uh, as it's described in 53.6, um, 
but the Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And, uh, and then in um, verses 10 through 12 of that same passage, talking about to him that he was basically offered um, as, get my eye back where I wanted to be on, um, offering for sin. Uh, the, the sin of the world were placed on him. Um, and it gives us a really interesting question as we read this passage in 53.6. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. So here's the question. If we all choose to do our own thing, I mean, that's what the world says. Whatever makes you happy, do it. How should Christ anguish at bearing the world's sin, and at his time he buried, he buried, he buried all our sins, even the sins, even today, and the sins we'll commit tomorrow. How does bearing all the world's sins on the cross affect your desire, my desire, to continue to sin? In Matthew, we see him in the garden when he, he's, he's facing, knowing that the crucifixion is coming. And he says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, he's not seeking to limit the physical suffering, but the spiritual separation from God made by the sin. Because you see in the agony of the cross, later in Matthew, he's just saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Further reflects the suffering of the separation from God. Um, you know, this passage in Isaiah emphasizes the Messiah's suffering. It's his death that provides justification. Suffering alone, no matter how severe, couldn't have bought our redemption. It is Christ's death that paid sin's penalty. You want to spend some time looking that up a little bit later? Go for it. And uh, you can see that in Acts 17, verse 3, and 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. Uh, we see that. So as we look at the injustice of his suffering, let's also look at about the innocence of the victim and the irregularities of his trial. You know, some people suffer because of sins in their life. Some people suffer because of foolish things they've done. But Christ did not deserve to suffer. He neither had sinned or acted foolishly. His innocence, Isaiah describes in the figure of the lamb brought to slaughter, a sheep before his shearers. Isaiah is proclaiming the Messiah's innocence. You think about Jesus being taken in his prime at age 33. He had no descendants, and Isaiah uh, implies that, that as for his, gener his generation, who was considered that he was cut off out of the land of living, not having a descendant in Jewish time period was a great tragedy. Uh, but it does promise in verse 10 that it says that he will see his offspring. And that is the offspring brought about through the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. You and me, my brothers and sisters, uh, we are his offspring. 
we are his brothers and sisters. We are uh, brothers and sisters through the adoption work of his, his redemption on the cross. There's also the irregularities of the trial. He faced injustices throughout the trial. The false witnesses, the statements taken out of context, being struck prior to having been found guilty. Contrary to Roman law, the witnesses against him did not appear personally before Pilate. Um, the government scourged him, they mocked him, and they crucified him, even though Pilate said, I find him innocent and I, I have you know, declared him innocent. But he also succumbed to the Jewish demands that Christ be crucified. Isaiah said that in verse 8, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. Um, you know, he stood before his, his accusers, but he never opened his mouth and said something was wrong. You know, he found no justice and was taken away to be crucified. There was no legal way that Christ was to be found worthy of the death penalty. And as we look at 1 Peter 13, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 3, 18, we will see that here in just a moment. about the injustice of the Messiah suffering from the innocence of the victim. If Christ was truly sinless, um, he did not deserve the punishment he suffered. Um, you know, many times we do suffer because of the fact that we have sinned and the sin has brought uh, consequences onto our lives or that we've done something stupid or foolish. Um, and, and that act um, has brought consequences as well. But his innocence illustrates the figure that we see in 53.7 about like a sheep have gone, or no, in 7. He was oppressed and afflicted yet did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is before his shearers. So he did not open his mouth. Um, we see the innocence of this, uh, that he, Isaiah proclaims the Messiah's innocence. Um, we see also, um, you know, that he was taken at the prime of his life. He was approximately 33 years of age. He has no descendants, and Isaiah in 53.8 makes a comment about that. Um, you see, it says, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. As for his generation, who was considered that he was cut off out of the land of living. Now, the idea there is that the, for the Jewish people at his time, it was considered a tragic thing to die uh, childless. Who would carry on the family name? But yet, in verse 10, it says... Um, he would see his offspring, and he would prolong his days. There will be a seed, an offspring, uh, who are born again by the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. We could also look at the innocence because of the irregularities of his trial. You know, the, <coughs> the arrest and trial that Christ uh, went through uh, included false witnesses. That's in Matthew 26.60. Statements taken out of context, seen in verse 61. He was struck 
before he was found guilty. That was in John 18:22. And contrary to the law of justice, the witnesses against him did not appear personally before Pilate. Roman law would require the witnesses to appear, but he didn't. You think about when he went before the Roman. Um, though Pilate declared him innocent, he had him scourged, mocked, and crucified, even though he said, I find no fault in him. And Pilate succumbed to the, the uh, demands of the Jews and let Christ be crucified. Now, Isaiah several hundred years prior to the arrival of Christ on the scene, predicts as this injustice in verse 53, verse 8, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Um, he, was, he stood bound before his accusers. He found no justice and was taken away to be crucified. Actually, there was no legal way for Christ to be found worthy of the death penalty. We're going to look at Peter in 1 Peter 3.18 and ask the question as I read it, why is it impossible to find Jesus guilty and worthy of death? So let's look at that. We'll be right back. Okay, so let's look here at 1 Peter 3, um, and I'm looking at verse 18. And it says, For Christ also died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So the question was, according to Peter, why was it impossible for Jesus to be found guilty and worthy of the death penalty? Because he was just. And that divine judgment, or divine justice, uh, called for satisfaction. Um, by a holy God, which could be accomplished only as the holy God himself providing the legal sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice. You know, if you think back to when he was arrested, he said, I could have called down 12 legions of angels to defend him, but he chose not to. Why? Because he knew his death had a purpose. He chose to give up his life. It wasn't taken from him. Just as he said in verse 11 of John 10, as the good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. He gave his life for each of us. Okay, so let's look at this last question. The reason for the Messiah's suffering. You know, why was he treated so badly? Was he not recognized as a man who went around doing good? Why would anyone want to hurt such an admirable person? Well, part of it comes from the erroneous conclusions of man. As people in his day looked upon the grief heaped upon the Messiah, they saw only the physical suffering. They assumed he had brought upon himself that he had sinned, and as a result, God was punishing him. But Isaiah 53.4 says, Um... Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. You see the idea that we saw him as, you know, truly, if he was the Son of God, that was how they mocked him, God would deliver him from the cross. The Jews believed they were serving God by putting him to death. They made a number of attempts on his life prior to the crucifixion, 
but largely due to his claims of equality with God. They, Jesus' crucifiers looked at the credentials from heaven and concluded they were from hell. They misunderstood who he was. They misunderstood why he suffered. They didn't recognize that he was suffering for them. We also see that there was a plan for the Messiah. The whole crucifixion, Jesus' arrest, the whole period there did not take God by surprise. He wasn't like, oops, this wasn't in my plan. Speaking of men of Israel, Peter proclaimed that Christ was delivered by the counsel and the foreknowledge of God, taken by the hands of, of wicked men to be crucified and slain. It's a balance between God's sovereign plan and man's responsibility. Peter's use of the word wicked hands show in the King James there as we see that he's held the Jews responsible for Christ's death even though it was part of God's eternal plan. So from God's perspective, the suffering of Christ was completed in eternity past, simply stating the suffering and crucifixion of Christ were all part of God's eternal plan. His meta-narrative is my famous word. It's the story that tells from, from creation through the end of Revelation. It's part of his plan. And God, Isaiah could clearly prophesy it centuries before it happened. And look at, at verse 10. Turn the page here in verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, that he would render himself as a guilt offering, and he will see his offspring, and he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper his hand. It was God's plan. Why was Jesus Christ, the Messiah, put to such abuse? Because it was part of God's redemptive plan for sinful man, an act of God's love. This is the background for some of the most popular Bible verse, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So as we close, I want to ask a question. What causes you to say, I deserve better? Have you ever said that because people treated you mistreated you or how you were treated when you were ministering? If so, when? Give that some thought. So keep the example of Christ in mind when we do minister, when we do serve. We need to serve with selfless, sacrificial attitude that Christ had when he unjustly went to the cross for us. We need to kind of take out the I deserve better and leave that on the, on the altar and be more sacrificial. Guys, we'll see you again next week as we look again at this passage about the vicarious suffering of the Christ.